Hello and welcome to the House of Legends, where you can hear world myths and legends told by a professional storyteller. I'm your host, Daniel Allison, and this is episode 58, Mary and the Seal with Kirsten Milliken. When I began coaching storytellers online through my Mythsingers program in early 2020, I offered a slot on the podcast to the storyteller who showed the most dedication and improvement. And Kirsten is that student as she's gone in that time from telling her first story to being the incredibly engaging teller that she is now. Before we hear Kirsten, I want to let you know that the Roundhouse Storytelling School is now open. The Roundhouse is a membership site for oral storytellers from beginners to pros. For just a small monthly fee, you get access to two new teaching modules every month, a community to join, bonus modules on mindset and marketing for storytellers, webinars with guest experts, a monthly online storytelling share, and so much more. I'm currently offering a special launch price of $16 per month or $160 per year, which is completely insane. So if you want to lock in that price, head over to roundhouseschool.com to sign up. You get a 60-day money-back guarantee, so you've got nothing to lose. And that price is just going to be available until this Sunday, 17th January, at which time it will go up. So that's roundhouseschool.com. And now let's hear from Kirsten. Hi, Kirsten. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks, Daniel. Very happy to be here. Very good to have you here. And where are you? I am based in Scotland. I've just recently moved to a village called Led Hills, which is the second highest village in Scotland. Okay, so you're among the snow. Yes, well, it melted yesterday, but until until yesterday, there were beautiful crisp white snowy hills all around me and I went for some lovely winter walks. Mm, Sounds very good. (laughs) Uh, So I'd like to just hear a bit about your interest uh, in myths and legends and what led you to become a storyteller. So were you into myths and legends as a kid? I was um, very much so. I've recently rediscovered some books that I owned as a child that came out of my mum's loft. So one of them was a book of um, Viking myths and legends, the Norse myths. Um, and it, you know, it's all very nicely illustrated with um, lots of colourful pictures for children. Um, so it's funny that when, as an adult, I rediscovered the Norse myths, I was already familiar with lots of those stories. Um, and I grew up in Shetland, which has very strong Nordic connections. So you know, they have a big festival there every year about called Apelia, which is about our Viking connections in Shetland. So um, we learned about the Norse myths in primary school um, and myths from other cultures as well. So definitely always had a very strong interest in them, but it's only been in the last few years that I've started doing a lot more research, a lot more reading, finding new, new and interesting myths. 
And for our listeners who are listening far away who don't know where Shetland is, can you tell us where that is? Yes. Shetland, uh, sometimes called the Shetland Islands, are a group of islands that are very small. They're only about 70 miles from north to south, and there are probably hundreds of individual islands in this group. And they sit in the ocean um, somewhere between Norway and um, mainland Scotland. Um, it's very isolated. Some people find it quite bleak. I find it beautiful. Um, there are fantastic sheer cliffs and at sea you you see things like humpback whales and killer whales and sorry orcas and um, all sorts of wonderful things. It's quite a magical place. Mm, yeah, I've been there once and I absolutely loved mm -hmm. it. I want to go again. And then you recently, would you say you rediscovered myths and legends or was this an ongoing interest? I think, yeah, I think I rediscovered them. Uh, so a long time passed in my life where I, I probably was more drawn to fiction novels and that kind of reading. But a few years ago, I um, saw a performance by a musician from a band and I bought a CD from him that was a recording of a story from the ancient Irish myths and that sparked an interest where I began researching um, ancient Irish stories and I discovered a whole world of Irish mythology that I'd known a little about as, as a youngster but um, it was much larger, faster than I, I could have imagined when I was a child and that led me to um, researching other old stories and texts, things like um, Beowulf and the Prose Edda and all sorts of things like that. So it's um, over the past few years, it's grown, but I'd say maybe the seed was there as a child. Mm. So we've been working together for almost uh, a year now, I think it is. And I see you've been doing a lot of work with Norse stories. That's particularly interest of yours. And you say you're particularly interested in Irish stories. What is it about an uh, individual story that draws you? I, I find this a really hard question personally, but are you able to are you able to say? I suppose that depends on the individual stories because there are different aspects of different stories that draw me in in different ways and maybe speak to me in different ways at different times of my life or depending on what mood I'm in on that day. So it's probably quite unique to individual stories, but I think, a lot of it comes down, probably the, the common factor is um, wonder. Um, as I said before, I like to read um, fiction books as well. And so anything that gives a sense of wonder and helps me to, helps to spark my imagination, um, I find really attractive. Mm. And then how do you go about learning and working with stories? It's. I find it a really enjoyable process. So I always begin with uh, the bare bones of a story and I'll write that in bullet point form. And then from there, I just memorize those points of, of the story. Um, you know, what, what is the arc here? Where do we start? Where do we end? What, what things do we stop off and have a look at on the way? And then I go through a lengthy process of um, every day taking my dog for a walk for about an hour at a time and just telling the story to my dog as we walk. And I think she really enjoys it. I know I do. Um, and that gives me a great opportunity to be out 
in the natural world, totally free from distractions. There's no um, screens, there's no phones ringing, there's no um, emails to look at. And I'm just in, out in the open, walking with my own thoughts. And that's when I start to play with the words. Um, and it can take me a really long time. Sometimes even the shortest stories will take me an hour to tell on one of these walks because I'm constantly saying a sentence and then maybe take a little time to absorb that and think about that and think about if that's the right way that I want to say it or something like that. It gives me a great chance as well to really ask questions of the story and explore what parts I find interesting. Um, and I just do that daily. I walk with the story and then when I've settled on a way that I like to tell it, I'll then maybe write down a few sort of key phrases so that I can give it some nice language and make it sound nice. And would you say your way of telling stories has changed as you've been learning storytelling recently? Absolutely, enormously. Um, I think I think I've learned I've learned a lot about the power of pace and space, um, different ways of using the voice to captivate the listener and create atmosphere, whether that's um, tension and drama or peace and tranquility. There's a lot of power in the voice that until somebody trains you how to use that, it's very difficult to learn on your own just by observing other people. Hmm. Yeah, well, you've certainly come a long way in that sense. And uh, it's really, really been enjoyable to see your storytelling develop and flourish. Uh, but enough of me saying that. I think it's about time people got to experience it for themselves. Uh, so what story would you like to tell us today? I would like to tell you a story that I came across in a book, a collection of stories from the Scottish traveller Duncan Williamson. And it's a story called Mary and the Seal. an island to the west of Scotland in the Inner Hebrides called Tyree, a tiny jewel of an island whose silver sandy shores rise gently from clear bright turquoise sea. Near the shore there used to stand a house proudly overlooking the sea its thick stone walls whitewashed, its roof thatched and its chimney gently puffing plumes of smoke. But today, that house is a ruin. Nothing more than a tumble of stones barely recognisable as a home. And this is the story of the people who once lived there. There was a family on Tyree whom for many generations had worked a croft, a small farm. 
The, the small stone house built hundreds of years ago had passed from parent to child till it came into the hands of a man called Angus and his wife, Margaret. They had just one child, a wonderful daughter called Mary, who was not yet 16 years old. Life on a croft on a small island was very hard for people had to be very self-sufficient and there was always work to be done. On the farm, there was feeding the animals, milking the cow, tending the crops. At sea, there was mending the nets, hauling the creels and gutting and salting the fish. And in the home too, there was much work to be done. There was spinning the wool, weaving the cloth, preparing the food. But despite the hard living, this was a very happy family. For they all worked together and by an evening they would sit round the fire together reading books. And Mary, who was such a good girl, did everything she could to make life easier for her parents. She helped them with whatever tasks she could and she did her best at anything she set her mind to. She especially loved going to sea with her father and working on the boat, for she said she loved the ocean and the thrill of spotting some of the wonderful creatures you see there, like the playful otters or the lonely basking shark or the elegant dolphins rising and falling from the waves. At the end of each day, when all of Mary's work was done, she would come to her father saying, May I borrow the boat and row to the island? Aye, lass, on you go, you have fun. And off she'd go for a few hours, then returning home for supper. Their life was happy and peaceful, and for the longest time, it just went on like this. Until one day, Margaret went to the village to fetch some supplies. She entered the shop unnoticed, for the people who were in there were busy chattering amongst themselves by the counter. And as Margaret browsed the shelves, she couldn't help but overhear them. For they were talking about her, Mary. Oh, she's a sweet girl, Ken, but she's awfully strange. For, you know, she's quite a loner. She doesn't have any friends. And she never goes to any of the dances. She's not with any laddies. Guaranteed, a girl as shy and strange as that will grow up a spinster. Oh, such a shame for Margaret and Angus. Margaret was very upset and she rushed out of the shop and made her way back home. All the time thinking to herself, how could people say such things about her wonderful daughter. Mary was the kindest, sweetest girl in all the world. They just didn't know her. They just needed to spend some time with her and get to know her. Margaret was sure, absolutely sure, that any boy on the island would want to marry her, Mary. But the more Margaret thought about it, the more she realised that, well, Mary didn't really seem to have that many friends. She did spend an awful lot of time 
alone on that island. But was she alone? Maybe she wasn't. All day long, these thoughts just went round and round and round in Margaret's head and she could not shift them. That evening, when all of Mary's work was done and she said to her father, may I borrow the boat and row to the island? Aye, lads, on you go, you have fun. As soon as Mary was out the house, Margaret turned to her husband asking what it was that Mary did on the island all alone. And soon she told Angus all about what she'd heard the people say in the shop and how upset she was for if they were right and Mary did grow to be a spinster alone on the croft, gosh, life was hard enough with the three of them. If it were just Mary on her own, she would, she would starve to death or die trying to feed herself. That was no kind of life that she wanted for her daughter. Angus, will you not just go out and see what she's doing on the island, please, just to put my mind at ease? Okay, okay. So Angus pulled on his boots and his coat and he left the house. He walked along the shore to his cousin's house for he needed to borrow a boat. And as he approached, there was Lachlan, sitting on a bench outside, puffing on his pipe and looking out across the sea. When Angus asked to borrow his boat and said he only wanted to go and check on Mary, Lachlan said, I, I saw her row across earlier. She loves that island, Angus. On you go, take the boat. But heed this, no good will come of you spying on your daughter. You should leave her alone to enjoy her freedom. And those words sat heavy on Angus's mind as he rode across to the island. He didn't want to spy on his daughter, but his wife was very upset and he just wanted to put her mind at ease. It would only be this once. As soon as he knew what she did there, that would be the end of it. Angus pulled the boat up the beach so it sat next to his own and he followed Mary's footprints up a path through the gorse and over to the other side of the island. As he got close, he heard Mary's voice. She was talking and laughing. He crouched down low so as not to be seen and peered out between the branches. And what he saw on the beach filled him with such joy. For Mary was there, but she was not alone. She was dancing and playing and laughing and having such a great time with a seal of all things. The sight of it filled Angus's heart with joy and he was so happy to watch the two of them frolicking and playing on the beach. And when they got tired, they sat down together on the sand and Mary stroked its silky silver coat. All is well, said Angus, as he made his way back home. Margaret, sat fidgeting in the house, for she could not concentrate on her spinning. 
she put down her ball of wool and stepped over to the window to peer outside. And there she saw Angus coming up the path. She rushed outside to meet him. And as he approached, he said, all is well, Margaret, all is well. Do not worry. Mary was there, but she wasn't alone. She was playing. You wouldn't believe it. She was playing with a seal and she was having so much fun. But Margaret stopped dead in her tracks. Her face grew hard and dark. What kind of a seal? Oh, I don't know, just, just some common grey seal. No, Angus, no. That is no seal. That is a selkie. It has enchanted our daughter. You know the stories. You know what will happen. She is under its spell and it will take her away down to its watery palace beneath the sea. We shall never see her again. Angus, you must do something. You must, you must kill it. But Angus would have none of that. He said she was overreacting. It was nothing but an ordinary seal and he would not kill Mary's only friend. Margaret wanted to know what Mary did on the island and now she did. That was the end of it. Well, weeks passed and with each day, the shadow on Margaret's mind grew longer and darker as she feared for her daughter. Every day, when Mary took the boat out, she would beg and plead with her husband to do something. Would he not just kill it? He could, she could see that he was getting more and more annoyed. But did he not understand they needed to protect their daughter? Then finally, one day, he said, fine. Tomorrow, I will do it. The next morning, when Mary was working in the fields, Angus took his gun down off the shelf. He pulled on his boots and his coat and he made his way to the boat. Each stroke of the oars pulled him closer to the island. And as he got closer, the feelings of guilt and of shame grew. He did not want to kill the seal. He did not want to kill Mary's only friend. If Mary ever knew, she would never forgive him. He pulled his boat up the beach and made his way across to the other side. And when he peered out onto the beach, there he saw the seal lounging lazily in the light of the sun by the water's edge. Angus lay down flat on his stomach. Hands shaking, he slipped a bullet from his pocket and loaded the gun. He raised it up, staring down the barrel and took a few long, slow, calming breaths to steady his hands. As he gently squeezed the trigger, he whispered, I am sorry, Mary. 
with a bang that shattered across the peaceful sky and sent the gulls swooping and screeching and screaming through the air. The bullet caught the seal in the shoulder. Blood sprayed out and the seal roared and rolled around in the waves trying to make its way to the water. And Angus, who could not bear the sight of it and could not believe what he had done, just picked up the gun and he ran away back to the boat and he pushed it out to sea, not caring that his boots were filling up with water and he started pulling on the oars, fighting against the rushing, crashing waves to make his way home. And as he did, his mouth grew dry and bitter and his stomach scorched and seared with pain and sickness. And he made his way back home. When he came into the house, he put his gun back on the shelf. Margaret came rushing in. He just barked, it's done. Then hand shaking, he took a bottle of whiskey down from the shelf took a dram in one just to settle his nerves, poured himself another and sank into a seat, numbly staring into the warmth of the fire where he could be alone with his thoughts and his guilt. He barely even noticed when Mary came in and asked, may I borrow the boat and go to the island? And he sat there for the longest time till eventually Margaret came over. She knelt in front of him, taking his hands in hers, saying, it was for the best, Angus. It was for our Mary. It is done. Mary. That is when Angus remembered that Mary had taken the boat. She had gone to the island. She would see the dead seal. She would be distraught. He had to go and fetch her. He rushed out of the house, pulling on his boots and coats. This time, he did not even ask his cousin if he could borrow the boat. He just took it and rowed across as quickly as he could. And when he got to the island, all the while, as he followed the path, he was calling out to Mary, but he could not hear her. And when he arrived on the beach, it was empty. No seal, no Mary. But he followed her footprints down to the shore and he crouched next to the blood-stained sand. He looked up to where the crimson light of the setting sun danced on the surface of the sea. And just there, not far from the shore, he saw two seals. As he looked into the eyes of one of those seals, he thought he saw something familiar. And then also in those eyes, he saw a great and terrible sadness. After a time, sitting like that, the seals turned. Their heads sank below the water and he did not see them again. As the light faded, he made his way home. And when he came back to the house and told his wife that their Mary was gone, the two of them embraced and fell down to their knees, weeping. Years went by. 
They did not see Mary again, and they sorely grieved the loss of their wonderful daughter. Day by day, the light and laughter and joy that once filled their house began seeping out, leaving only sorrow. They had no other children, no one to inherit their little croft, so that today no one lives there. It's just a tumble of stones. And on Angus's dying day, he looked out to sea, hoping that wherever Mary was, she was free and happy and enjoying the ocean that she loved so dearly. And that is the story of Mary and the seal. Thank you, Kirsten. That was absolutely beautiful. And I think it will be uh, a real treat for a lot of our listeners because I have had quite a few requests for Silky Stories recently. Uh, so you're going to make a lot of people very happy, I'm sure. Good. Are you particularly keen on Silky Stories? I do. I do like Silky Stories. And I feel like that might come from growing up in the Shetland Islands. I'm co You're constantly surrounded by the sea. Um, and somebody once told me that I had one foot on the land and one foot in the sea. Okay, makes sense then. All right, well, we're going to round things up there, uh, but thank you very much for coming on House of Legends. It's been really lovely to have you here and uh, I'm sure people are gonna hear a lot more from me in the future. Lovely, thanks for having me, Daniel. It's been great. Hope you enjoyed hearing Kirsten. I certainly did. Uh, hope you enjoyed getting a silky story finally. And if you'd like to do what she does, you can either sign up for the Roundhouse Storytelling School or you can join Myth Singers, my coaching program, which includes Roundhouse membership and also two group coaching sessions per month with me, Kirsten and the other students. You can find out more at roundhouseschool.com and you can find out more about coaching specifically at my other website, houseoflegends.me. That's all for now. See you next time.